I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been teaching for a number of weeks on uh, spiritual gifts, and we want to continue that series. Beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. I'm reading from the King James, and the King James translators added the word gifts. Anytime you find a word italicized in the King James, it means the translators put something in there to help us to understand. In this case, the original um, uh, text reads, Now concerning spirituals, the word spiritual is in the plural, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, you could well understand why the translators would feel like we needed something in there because the word spirituals doesn't mean anything to us. But the word spirituals in the Greek means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So if we insert that definition in there, it's saying, Now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Here's the Holy Spirit telling, speaking through the Apostle Paul to us, saying that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about things pertaining to himself. And one of the things in this chapter that Paul talks about are spiritual gifts, but there are other things as well that pertain to the Holy Ghost just as much. He talks about the body of Christ, and then he talks about ministry gifts at the end of the chapter. Now, he gives us a list, begins giving us a list. Um... Well, I guess we better skip down to verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts. This word gifts is there in the, in the text, which may be the, the reason that uh, the translators chose the word gifts in verse 1 to help us to understand. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. The word administrations is also the word ministries. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one, here's the list of nine manifestations of the Spirit. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith, or the Amplified says special faith, by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings, gifts and healings are always in the plural in the original text, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse or different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh, thank God they all work. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now we want to talk about um, prophecy this morning. We've uh, divided these into uh, three different groups of three. Three of these manifestations reveal something, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. Three of these manifestations do something. Gifts of healings, working of miracles, and special faith. We sometimes call them the power gifts. And then three of these, the last three that we haven't yet looked at, we'll begin to this morning, are what we might call the vocal gifts. So three of these manifestations that say something. Now look with me over in in, uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Prophecy is the one that Paul talks the most about. And there's a reason for that, because today, even as it was in that day, prophecy seems to be the most misunderstood. And so he gives us greater information about it than any of the others. Chapter 14, verse 1, he says, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Now, there's something you need to understand about the word prophecy or the word prophesy as it's used in the New Testament, even as as Paul writes here in these few chapters. Sometimes he's speaking about the specific gift of prophecy, prophecy in a specific sense. Other times he's speaking of prophecy in a general sense. I'll show you the difference and explain what I mean by that as we go. Verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Weymouth translation says divine secrets. Now a little background of what's going on in the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth is a spirit-filled church. Paul says to, the, to this church that they come behind in no good gift, which means they've got all the manifestations of the spirit in operation. It has to mean that for Paul to use the language that he did. And their services are what we might consider a circus because there's very little that's being accomplished in the services, even though the Holy Ghost is moving. Now, folks, you need to understand something. Just because the Holy Ghost is moving doesn't mean everything is being done right. The Holy Ghost was moving in a great way in the church at Corinth, but people weren't being reached because they were misusing 
through ignorance because of their misunderstanding. They were misusing the things of the Spirit of God because they didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. That's why Paul addresses them and says that the Holy Ghost does not want to hit them and us too to be ignorant concerning the things of the Holy Ghost. Now the Bible tells us that they were all speaking in tongues in such a manner that people would come in from the outside that were either unsaved or they were saved but maybe they weren't spirit filled. They didn't know anything about the, the, the manifestation or the operation of the spirit. And everybody would walk out of there, or the, the unlearned and the un, uh, unsaved would walk out of there, the unbelievers and the unlearned would walk out of the services saying these people are crazy. Well, it's hard to reach the world if they think you're crazy. Which is a big reason the Pentecostal church has had so much trouble in America reaching the world. Or reaching people in our own country. Pentecostals are generally thought to be crazy. Now, I don't like that designation, do you? I don't want anybody to think I'm crazy. But I'm spirit-filled. I speak with tongues. I think I might be able to say or get pretty close to saying what Paul said. I speak with tongues more than you all. But God doesn't want the world to think that spirit-filled Christians are crazy. That should be a great revelation to the Pentecostal part of the church. So what does that mean? That means we need to understand, rightly understand, how the Spirit of God operates, how he manifests himself, and for what purpose. Paul tries to bring order to the operation of the Spirit, not to get the people to stop letting the Spirit move, but to bring order so that the Spirit of God is effective when he does move. God only has man to use to transmit God's plan and purpose and will. As such, the operation of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit is always perfect because it's from God. But any, any part of it that comes through man or has to use man to be delivered, that's where the imperfections at least has the potential to arise and those imperfections in the Corinth are on full display so he says again verse 2 for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God he's telling them speaking with tongues in your public services in the way that you're doing is not doing any good because that's a, a language that's between you and God not between you and somebody else for no man understandeth him howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries Paul's having to walk a real fine line here because he's saying, I need you to bring order. God wants you to bring order to your services so that people are reached. But I don't want you to stop letting the Holy Ghost use you. And this seems to be the, the, um, the same dilemma that we have today. And that is, if you try to bring order to the operation of the Spirit, then people will stop um, giving proper importance and attention to speaking in tongues. See, you can take the scriptures that Paul says, for example, I speak with tongues more than you all, howbeit in the church. I'd rather speak a few words with my own language, my own voice, than 10,000 words in other tongues. People will take that and they'll run off and they'll say, well, see, we shouldn't be speaking in tongues in services. Well, Paul didn't say that. He didn't say anything close to that. He said, let the Holy Ghost manifest himself according to the way he wants to and not according to the way you want to. That's the point he's making. That's his message. So he tells them first about tongues because that's where their excess is. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. He's saying there is value to speaking in tongues. Now folks, I can't overemphasize this. Because too many spirit-filled people don't speak in tongues. They've invited the Holy Ghost into their lives. The fullness of the Holy Ghost in their lives. You can have a a measure or a portion of the Holy Ghost. Everybody does when you get saved. But spirit-filled is a greater measure of the Spirit of God. But if you invite this Holy Ghost into your heart in in its full measure and then don't utilize him, don't put to work the gifts that he gives you to speak to God, to speak divine secrets, then what good is it to have him? Are you out there? Now, a lot of Pentecostals know about speaking in tongues and know the importance in their, in their heads. They know the importance of speaking in tongues, but they don't utilize it. They don't make time. They don't make a place for it. Paul is emphasizing the importance of speaking in tongues 
He goes so far as to say, as we mentioned just a few moments ago, that he says that he speaks in tongues more than all of them. Now, folks, if he's speaking in tongues more than the Corinthian bunch, he's doing a lot of, spending a lot of time speaking in tongues. Now, I wonder, just throw it out for your consideration, I wonder if the revelations that Paul had and the power of the Holy Ghost that manifested himself through him had anything to do with the fact that he spoke with tongues more than all of the others put together. You think there might be a connection there? Well, he's the one that said, how would he know except the Holy Ghost tell him? He's the one that said that in the spirit, when you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God, not to me, and you're speaking to God, and you're speaking divine secrets or mysteries. Think about what that means, folks. God has given us the opportunity to speak divine secrets with him. Now, he doesn't need to know any secrets. So what's the benefit of speaking mysteries or divine secrets in other tongues? Because God will show you what some of them are. I hope this isn't falling on deaf ears. Okay, so he gives them some instruction about tongues in verse 2. Verse 3, he said, but... He that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, prophecy, the gift of prophecy can simply be defined as inspired utterance in a known language, a language known to the speaker. Diverse kinds of tongues is inspired utterance in an unknown language, unknown to the speaker. It might not be unknown to the hearer, but it's unknown to the speaker. Prophecy is in a language that's known to the speaker. And here he tells us what the simple gift of prophecy is for. For edification, exhortation, and comfort. For encouragement. To comfort someone. To lift them up. Lift their spirits. In other words, the Holy Ghost wants to manifest himself on occasion as he wills. He wants to manifest himself to encourage people. To comfort them. To lift their spirits. To build them up. Now, notice there's no revelation involved or spoken or mentioned. He didn't say prophecy is given to reveal. The simple gift of prophecy has no revelation in it whatsoever. Now, oftentimes, prophecy will be a means whereby revelation comes. How many of you came by car to the service this morning? Well, we don't make a big deal about the car. It's just the way you got here. The important thing is that you're here. In other words, your car is the delivery system for you. Prophecy is oftentimes the delivery system for revelation. But your car is sitting in the parking lot, and it's not you. You're very distinct from the car. You came in the car, but you got out of the car, and now you're separate from it, right? In the same way, revelation, word of wisdom, word of knowledge is separate from the delivery system of the simple gift of prophecy. Now, we might illustrate it like this. If we had two candles that were burning and we put the ends together, it would look like one flame. Well, sometimes prophecy looks like it's one flame when it contains revelation, but it's still coming from two distinct sources. Does that make any sense? So the gift of prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort to encourage people to lift them up, to build them up, lift their spirits, and so forth. It does not contain any revelation. One example that we have of prophecy being uh, recorded in the Bible is when Mary, the mother of Jesus, was with child, was with Jesus, pregnant with Jesus, and she went into her sister Elizabeth's house when Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. Elizabeth said something, and then Mary spoke out of her heart by the Holy Ghost and said, My soul does magnify the Lord. My spirit does rejoice in God my Savior. There were some other things she said. But that was just a simple gift of prophecy. She's praising the Lord. She's magnifying God. It's praise and adoration, but no revelation whatsoever. Now, if you look a few verses before that at what Elizabeth said, She's prophesying. It says she was filled with the Holy Ghost. 
Turn with me over to Luke chapter 1. We're going to come back to this, but maybe it would be a, a, a better idea for you to see it rather than me just refer to it. Luke chapter 1. The angel has just appeared unto Mary, and she's accepted the plan of God. Be it unto me, even as thou hast spoken, or according to your word. Beginning in verse 39, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. She just said hello. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, filled with the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament and here in the uh, four Gospels does not mean she spoke with tongues. It means the Holy Ghost came upon her. Well, to what end? To speak. And she said, she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, how would she know that Mary was pregnant, much less pregnant with Jesus? The angel has just appeared to her. The angel is the one that told her that Elizabeth was, was uh, pregnant six months along. They haven't seen each other. It's information she didn't have, so they haven't been in contact. So there's been no way that they could have communi- communicated or that Elizabeth would know naturally what had happened. So here's Revelation. Here's these two flames together looking like one flame. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, now Mary begins to prophesy, but hers doesn't contain any revelation. And Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth shall all generations, all generations shall call me blessed. And then she goes on and says some other things. But the point is, The Holy Ghost came upon both of them, one with revelation, one just to praise God for his goodness. Now, the same thing happened in many of the Psalms with David. All of you know the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. That's prophecy. The simple gift of prophecy for edification, exhortation, and comfort. There's no revelation there whatsoever. But you back up just one Psalm to the 22nd Psalm that talks about Jesus not being left in hell and so forth. There's there's Uh, foretelling revelation that was there so prophecy is the vehicle it's the means it's the delivery system whereby God can reveal certain things but the simple gift of prophecy in itself contains no revelation now let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and pick up where we were a lot of times people think that prophecy is, is inspired preaching Well, thank God for inspired preaching. We need more of that. But it's got to be something more than that because preaching is something you can prepare for. Prophecy is by the sudden inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And you can, through developing your uh, preaching or teaching gift, there are people that come to the place where their mind and their, their voices are so in tune that they develop uh, eloquence in what they say, and it just seems to flow out of them like water, which is what the word, the Old Testament word, Hebrew word prophecy means. It means to flow forth. The New Testament word in the Greek for prophecy means to speak for another. Well, both of those are true. Both of those show a characteristic of this gift of prophecy because there's something that flows out of your spirit as you speak for God. Now, inspired or eloquent preachers have preached error. Well, that can't be God. God can't ever preach error. Everything he says is right and true. So it's got to be something more than inspired preaching. There can be an element there from on occasion. But it's got to be something more than that. Prophecy is more than just stringing along scriptures. You can memorize scriptures. 
But when you prophesy, the Holy Ghost comes upon you and things come out of you that, that you're not even aware you're saying sometimes. So back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow after charity or love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Notice the contrast. Speaking in tongues is speaking unto God. The gift of prophecy is speaking unto men. That's why Paul puts the emphasis on prophesying in services. Because it's more important for us to be able to speak to each other so that we can teach and learn and so forth. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But he that prophesies edifies the church. That's the only reason that Paul places a greater emphasis on prophecy than he does speaking with tongues. It's so that the church is benefited. I would that you all spake with tongues. Now, if Paul is speaking by the Holy Ghost, this is the will of God for every believer, for everybody to speak in tongues. I know there are some that say that, um, that believe that, that it's not God's will for everybody to speak with tongues because they're taking a verse out of context where Paul is talking about being used in tongues and interpretation in a public ministry. But here's the Holy Ghost saying what his will is for every believer. I would that you all spoke with tongues. This is not Paul speaking just by himself. If he's not inspired by the Holy Ghost, then we need to tear this chapter out. Because this is, these would be the words of Paul rather than the words of God. But Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, said, I would that you all spake with tongues. But rather that you prophesied. Now why? Why does he place a greater emphasis on prophecy? For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. What he's saying is very simply this. Prophecy is greater than tongues unless tongues is accompanied by interpretation. Because tongues by itself doesn't edify anybody but you. But prophecy edifies the hearer, the church. But tongues with interpretation is the equal of prophecy. It's kind of like one dime equal to, equaling two, nickel, two nickels. I'll get it out in a minute. You can tell the words are just flowing right out of my heart. <laughs> Two nickels equal a dime. Well, if you only have one nickel, a dime's worth more. But those two nickels together are tongues and interpretation. And they equal prophecy. So Paul is saying that prophecy is greater. It would be the greatest of the three vocal gifts. He's saying that prophecy is greater because it brings edification to the hearer. But if you have tongues with interpretation, then that's the equivalent. That's the equal of prophecy. So I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, so that the church may receive edifying. Now notice verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I speak unto you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Now, notice he mentions revelation and prophesying as two separate things. If prophecy always included revelation, he couldn't separate them. It would be improper in the language for him to do so. So he's saying that prophecy in and of itself, by itself, contains no revelation. Now, there are, uh, well, we're right here in chapter 14. Notice in verse... uh, How how far do we want to go here? Let's start in verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and everybody speaking with tongues, that's what's going on in a lot of their services, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're crazy? This is the reputation a lot of Pentecostal churches in America have. A lot of Pentecostal churches in America have. And that's not what God wants. Paul tells us very clearly that in order to reach the world, you're going to have to make sense to them. That doesn't mean you do away with the supernatural. It means you conduct yourself in certain ways when you know they're present. And when it's just believers, you can do your own thing. 
You can operate in a different way. Verse 24, he said, but if I'll prophesy and there comes in one that believes not or is unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now, this word prophecy that's used in verse 24 has got to be the general sense or general term or general use of the word prophecy that would include revelation because he talks about secrets being made manifest. So Paul uses the word prophecy in a specific way on certain occasions and in a general way to include revelation at other times. And if you don't understand that, if you don't understand what the simple gift of prophecy is in and of itself without revelation, then what he's saying won't make sense. And a lot of people have been confused by some of these scriptures over the years, and so they've just given up on it and said, well, that must not belong to us today. But thank God it does. He goes further. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Now, this has been misunderstood for years as well. He's talking about numbers of people, not, number, not the number of messages in tongues, so to speak. He's saying if there are going to be people that speak in tongues and interpret, let it be a couple or at the most three that speak in tongues, but let there be one interpreter. Now, what's he doing? He's forbidding competitive interpretation. Brother Hagin used to tell a story about a church, Pentecostal church, way back in the old days, where there were certain people, two, two different people in the church that would speak. They would take upon themselves to prophesy and so forth. And it became a competitive type of thing. We'll talk about that a little bit in a moment. But one started speaking. Now, this wasn't in tongues of interpretation. This was prophecy. But one spoke out. And it, whatever it was, everybody was blessed, you know. And then the other one came along and, and tried to top it. And so they went back and forth two or three times. And finally, the last time, the lady stood up and she said whatever she said by the Holy Ghost and then said, and this is the last time I'm going to speak to you. <laughs> well, unfortunately, things like that have happened in the church to such a degree that people have gotten tired of folks standing up to prophesy. Now, look with me over to first. Uh, well, I can't turn there yet. I'll get there in just a minute. Let's finish this before, uh, before we go forward. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most three. He's talking about numbers of people, not messages. And that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, talking about an individual. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. Now, Paul must be saying, the only way that this would make sense, and the only way this would work, is if Paul is saying, you should know in every church who the interpreter is for the moving of the Holy Ghost. And under normal conditions, you expect that to be the pastor, at least to include him. He might not be the only one, but you would certainly expect God to use him as well. So the interpreter he's talking about is not just the interpretation of a message in tongues. He's talking about someone who interprets the move of the Spirit for that particular service. So he's saying, if there is no interpreter present, then don't speak out in tongues. Well, then that would require a little bit of knowledge, foreknowledge on the part of the individual, wouldn't it? Now, look how that is not followed in churches today. So often you'll have somebody that'll come in first time they've ever been in a church and they'll get inspired to do something and speak out. Well, they don't know who's there. They don't know how the church operates. That's why the Bible instructs pastors to only use those, that, those people that they know. Oh, now, Pastor Mike, you're trying to quench the spirit. You're trying to keep the Holy Ghost from moving. No, I'm all for the Holy Ghost moving. But I want it to be the Holy Ghost and not just you. Do you see how Paul is trying to bring order to these things? Then he says in verse 29, let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge other prophets. He expects that there are going to be prophets in, his, in those services. 
Now, we don't know if he knows something specific about the church at Corinth. I would assume that he does. But he doesn't call anybody by name. So he's using a general rule or setting forth a general principle. Has to be. Because the Holy Ghost knows that when he inspires Paul to say this stuff, he's going to save it for us. So he said, let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge. And then he goes further. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. He's talking about the prophets. In other words, he's saying, let the Holy Ghost move through people you know and trust. People you have confidence in. And he doesn't consider it to be an unusual thing for a church service or any church to have a couple of prophets present. Well, that's sure different than our services. Wouldn't you agree? Then Paul goes further and says in verse 31, For you may all prophesy one by one, and that all may learn, and that all may be comforted. Now the prophecy he's talking about has got to be the specific one because he's not talking about just the prophets with revelation. He's talking about the simple gift of prophecy for edification, exhortation, and comfort. He's saying God will use anybody in that. And everybody should be used from time to time in it. If not in a public setting, at least in private circumstances. Now turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In the first century, Paul has to bring correction to the working of the Holy Ghost. Now stop and think about what that means. Here's the Holy Ghost operating in a church that's about 30, maybe 35 years old where Paul is writing the letter to this, back to this church. Now the church at Thessalonica is an interesting church because Paul only spent a matter of a, month, a few months there. I think it was four months that he spent there. And he taught them a lot about end time stuff. He taught them a lot about Jesus' return. Taught them a lot about what was going to happen at the end. More so than any other church we have record of in his travels. I I don't know of any uh, explanation why. I have to assume that it was just the way the Holy Ghost moved on him while he was there. But he wrote back in the two letters that he wrote to the Thessalonian church... He wrote them more information about the return of Jesus than he did just about anybody. Well, he than anybody else. He wrote a little bit to the Corinthian church when he wrote back to them. But otherwise, he wrote the end time stuff to the Thessalonians. Why did he put such an emphasis on end time stuff and Jesus' return and the rapture and so forth with them and not others? I don't have an answer for that, folks. But that's the way it was. So here's a church that's 35 maybe or so years old. Well, it's, it's 35 years since Jesus has been risen from the dead. The, the, the oldest any church could be would be about 35 years old. They're not quite that old. But during the time since Paul started the church, spent a few months there and writes back to him maybe six or eight years later, they've come to the place where they're discounting the move of the Holy Ghost. Notice what it says. We'll start reading in verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now those that's instruction for every believer. Pray without ceasing, rejoice evermore. I mixed them up, excuse me. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Notice he speaks two times of giving thanks or rejoicing and one time in, about praying. You should do twice as much rejoicing and giving thanks as you do praying. And then notice he gives other bullet points instructions to the church. He says, quench not the spirit. How are we going to do that? Well, the very next thing he says has to be related. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, church history tells us, historical documents tell us, that there is such an excess of prophesying in the Thessalonian church that they've gotten to the point where they don't want to hear anything. And Paul is writing to correct that. He's saying if you refuse or discount the moving of the Holy Ghost, the manifestation of the Spirit, 
then that will quench the Holy Ghost altogether. He'll stop wanting to move among people who discount his opportunities or the importance of him doing so. But then notice he says, prove all things that are good. Or prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. So what's happening? Well, apparently, some of the prophesying that's taking place is not accurate. It's not really the Holy Ghost. Which you could well understand would lead to a situation where people just get tired of hearing what so-and-so has to say. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. Let me talk to you about something else in this regard. Hopefully we'll wrap up our thoughts and make all this make sense. If it doesn't already. Let's start in verse 5. Romans chapter 12 verse 5. It says, So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Well that's the same thing Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. About the body of Christ being like the human body. Every piece fitting together and working together. So he's saying the same thing. He's carrying on, carrying on with the same theme. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And he that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Showeth mercy has to do with visiting the sick. The words, are, the, the words that are translated, showing mercy, means to visit the sick. So Paul is not talking about ministry gifts or ministry offices here. He's talking about how that God will prompt people to be used in these different areas. Now notice one that he speaks of is prophecy. It's the only one of the bunch that he doesn't say to develop. He says, in your ministry, wait on that. In other words, develop it. On teaching, develop that. Now, I don't believe he's talking about the office of the teacher. I think he's talking about lower level teaching in the church and so forth. Because this is not a list of ministry gifts. He that ruleth or has place of leadership... With diligence. In other words, give yourself to that. But prophecy is the one, the one gift or operation in this list that he doesn't mention developing. For example, he says, let, the, those that prophesy, let them do it according to the proportion of faith. He doesn't talk about growing your faith to prophesy differently. He doesn't talk about increasing your faith. So what does that tell us? That tells us that God uses some people on different levels according to their proportion of faith. For example, how many of us have heard people prophesy on different occasions and it always sounds the same? One of the most common is how much God loves you. Oh, my children, I love you with great love. And that's all they ever prophesy. Well, if that happens time after time after time, after a while, somebody will see so-and-so begin to speak and they'll say, oh, here we go again. And you can take a a negative attitude toward it. You can ask yourself the question, do we really need God to move to tell us he loves us? Well, what's happening? Well, assuming that they're being inspired by the Holy Ghost to speak at all, they're showing with the proportion of faith that they have to speak is going to be on that level. But others will speak and man, it'll just lift the service. It'll just charge everybody and encourage people. It's almost like a shot in the arm for the whole thing. Like from heaven, something's come down and just lifted everybody into place. What's the difference? The proportion of faith. Now, if Paul didn't expect this to be used and the Holy Ghost to operate this way, then why did he tell the Romans that this is the way it works? I had somebody come to me some years ago, and they said, Pastor Mike, sometimes in the services, 
especially after we've been worshiping God, I'll just, it'll just be everything I can do not to speak out. And so I asked him, well, what would you speak out? What do you mean? He said, well, like, for example, Sunday. Talking about the previous Sunday. He said, the Holy Ghost, I think it was the Holy Ghost. You tell me. But I, I believe it was the Holy Ghost came upon me, and he wanted me to say this. And he said it, and as he began to tell me, it started pouring out of his heart. See, the things about the, the Holy Ghost, when he gives you something, a lot of times people think you've got to be in a hurry to give it out. I've got had things that the Holy Ghost would give me that would stay for three weeks, maybe a month. And then there would be a time where the unction would come to speak it out. Just because you get something from the Holy Ghost doesn't necessarily mean now is the time to say it. There's two parts to it. One is what you get and the other is the unction to speak. You remember Jesus said to the disciples, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Well, does that mean that Jesus would have been wrong in what he said if he had told them more? No, he's just waiting for the right time so that what he has can benefit him the greatest. It works the same way with the manifestation of the Spirit. You don't have to be in a hurry. Now, thank God we've gotten away from some of these things, but in years past, in Pentecostal circles, there'd be a rush to try to be the one to speak. Either the first one to speak or the only one to speak or the one to speak the most. And I assume that it was born out of a heart of wanting to be used by God, the right motives. I give most people the benefit of the doubt until they prove me wrong. So you've got people that were sincere and sincerely wanting to be used of God, trying their best to be obedient to the Lord. But it became this race. Who's going to have the, the, the best thing to say or the most to say or be the first one to speak or whatever? Well, it wouldn't take too long before everybody else on the outside would start getting tired of that. Are you with me? Apparently, that was some of what was happening in the Thessalonian church. Because Paul had to tell them, don't despise prophesying. Now, think about what that means. Don't despise the Holy Ghost speaking. Now, who in their right mind would despise the Holy Ghost speaking? Well, then why had they gotten to that place? The problem wasn't the Holy Ghost speaking. It was who was doing the talking for the Holy Ghost. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So what are we to do? Let the Holy Ghost use us however he wants to. What does that mean? That means we should expect him to manifest himself. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, if I speak out, are you going to call me down? Well, let's see. No, of course not. There's a, there's a story that uh, in the Azusa Street Revival back in 1906, 1907, there's a story that was uh, recorded by the uh, gentleman that was pretty much the, the one that God used to head the whole thing up. He was a black gentleman. His name was Reverend Seymour. Everybody called him Dad Seymour. And he said this, he, and the Azusa Street Revival was something that was so unheard of in its day that it was, uh, it, well, it was a marvel to everybody. The Holy Ghost was poured out on just a few people in a very small meeting, and it continued for the space of about two and a half years. They would continue to have services day and night, morning and evening, for a two and a half year period. And, and the Holy Ghost would move. The Holy Ghost was doing some marvelous things. But Dad Seymour wrote, he said, We found that as the meetings grew and the, the word started to spread and, and thousands of people came from all over the place and got filled with the Holy Ghost as a result. He said, As the Spirit of God began to move, we found that there were a lot of very strange manifestations that would begin to occur. And clearly some of it wasn't God talking about people writhing on the floor like snakes and different goofy stuff and folks you need to understand when the Holy Ghost gets moving the devil always comes in and takes advantage of simple minded people 
You remember what happened when Moses threw his snake, his rod down that turned into a snake before, uh, before Pharaoh? The magicians did the same thing. The devil always tries to counterfeit whatever God does. But don't worry about that. Moses' snake ate theirs up. Things of God are always greater. But he said this. He said when some of these things started happening, we were, we meaning the people in leadership, were very aware that it wasn't the Holy Ghost, but it was a manifestation of the devil. He said we tried to put a stop to it. And he said we found that that was, had a detrimental effect. Because when we stopped the excess, when we stopped the error, the Holy Ghost quit moving. So we learned that the way to handle it is to let God take care of his own business. Let God show what's right and reveal what's not. When we took our hands off of it, he used the example, the illustration of like in the Old Testament the day when uh, David was bringing the ark up to Jerusalem. They put it on an ox cart and the ox stumbled or hit a pothole or something like that and the, the ark of the covenant on the back of the wagon shook and one guy reached up to steady it and he fell dead for touching it he said we we've considered ourselves to be in the same boat when we were trying to steady the ark the holy ghost quit moving but when we took our hands off and just let god do his own thing then he showed what was right and revealed to everybody there the things that were not So we've got a dilemma in our present day. We don't have the situation like Paul had, which was a better, better place to start, in my opinion, where you've got people that are already moving in the Spirit of God, and they just need instruction on how to use the things that God gives them. Now we're in a situation where everybody's in the ditch. You're trying to start from a cold start, trying to get people to allow the Holy Ghost to use them. So let me ask you this. Would God want to use the Corinthian church who had come from idol worship situations, many of them that were still involved in idol worship, prostitution and fornication in the temples and so forth, would God want to use and manifest himself to those people more than he would want to use you? If so, Why? Why would there be a greater need for the manifestation of, of the Holy Ghost in their day than there would be in our day? Is it like so much of the church has deduced now we've developed intellectually to the point where we don't need to move the Holy Ghost like they had? I reject that notion completely. I don't think man's intellect will ever Come close to doing the work that the manifestation of the Holy Ghost will. So what do we do? Well, remember what Paul told the church. He said, follow after love. He didn't say follow after spiritual gifts. He said, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you prophesy. In other words, we as a people, you as individuals, me as an individual, but we as a church family need to start believing God to speak through us. I'm not going to be the only one that God speaks through. I'm not going to be the only one that, that has something to say from the Spirit of God. I'm not the only one that's going to have direction from God about what He wants to do. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Too often that is the case, at least in the minds of the people. Whatever's going to be done is going to be done by the ministry staff, and the congregation just goes and their responsibility is to pay their tithe and just hear what the ministers have to say. That's not the picture that the New Testament paints of the church being used by the Holy Ghost. Is it? So how many of you are willing to be used of the Holy Ghost? It's a real question. Not everybody is. How many of us are willing to allow the Holy Ghost to move even if people make mistakes? See, too many of us have the attitude that we want everything to be pure. Well, what have we gotten? A bunch of nothing. 
No moving of the Holy Ghost, but it's pure. Services are dead and cold, but it's pure. That's not the message that Paul is writing to the church by the Holy Ghost. The message from the Holy Ghost to the Apostle Paul is that God wants to use everybody. And if our church services are not a place where there's freedom for the Holy Ghost to use us, to speak through us, to, to well, to do whatever he wants, then how are you going to learn to be used by the Holy Ghost when you go out into the world? Should this not be the place that we learn? Now, when you say this, some people are starting to already get the gears working in their heads. Starting to think of something to say. You know the things that I've gotten the greatest benefit of from individually when the Holy Ghost speaks to me? I've had, and it hadn't always been this way, but over the last, I don't know, six or eight years maybe, there are things that the Holy Ghost will say to me that will be just parts of verses just as I wake up in the morning, that place between the sleep and the wake, I've had the Holy Ghost just speak a part of a verse, knowing that I knew the rest of the verse. But just the fact that he spoke it to my heart just lifts me. I've been living off those scriptures. There are three or four of them over the last several years. That, man, those scriptures mean so much more to me now than they ever did before. I knew they were there before. But having the Holy Ghost speak them to me made every bit of difference in the world. It was an encouragement. It was something that edified me. It brings comfort. Well, if that's what I, how many of you have had that same experience? Well, you know what I'm talking about then. Well, if that's what the Holy Ghost does to us individually that lifts our spirits then wouldn't it make sense that in, in many cases, I'm not going to say most of the time, but many times, the Holy Ghost would do the same thing, give us the same type of thing that would lift somebody else? Well, sure. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if the Holy Ghost isn't going to speak the Word of God, what is He going to speak? Now, the reason I say that is to try to take the pressure off. Because we have a tendency to put so much pressure on ourselves. We'll pray, oh, God, use me. And then we'll put pressure on ourselves. And then we, nobody wants to flub up. Nobody wants to make a mistake. And so we try to prepare ourselves for it. Folks, you can't prepare yourselves for the Holy Ghost to use you. There is no preparation for that. There's nothing you can do to get ready except to just prepare yourself through spiritual development, but you ought to be doing that anyway. Not specifically so the Holy Ghost uses you, just to grow as a, a believer. So there's nothing you can do to prepare yourself other than what the Bible says, and what the Bible says is desire these things. Do you? Do we? If not, we should. This is a time to get real honest with God. If you don't desire these things, but you see that the Bible says to, then maybe a good time to start praying would be to, to admit it to the Lord. Lord, I see that the word says that I should want this. Help me want it. Give me a desire for it. I think one mistake that we've made as a church as a whole is that we tried to put the pressure on ourselves. I, I don't know why, but this, uh, this thought came to me. Uh, I went to see one of these uh, superhero movies lately and where the, the superhero, well, it was the X-Men, the new X-Men movie. Yeah. 
where these mutants, well, that's what they call them. I'm just using technically correct terms. But these mutants have these powers, and all I have to do is unleash these powers. Well, if we've got the power of the Holy Ghost, how do we unleash the power of the Holy Ghost? Not the same way. And I think so often we are looking to feel the power. We're looking to know everything from the beginning. And and sometimes the scariest thing is for the Lord to give you half of of a sentence or just a few words to say. It's like you're stepping out over the abyss. I've got two words. What happens next, Lord? Lord, give me the whole sentence. Give me the whole thing. But it doesn't work that way. You give the two words you've got, and he gives you more. That's scary. What are people going to think about me? Well, they're not going to think any worse about you than they do already. (laughs) And if the truth be known, Most everybody doesn't care like we think they care. (laughs) I saw saw something. I I won't tell you who it is. It's a well-known minister. I saw him in a big meeting. He said it was the biggest meeting he had been involved in. He was a guest speaker. Huge meeting. Thousands of people there. He got up on the platform. He was teaching away, and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost came upon him. And he, you could see something was, was going on with him, and he was resisting. He was doing, he was struggling. Nobody knew why at the time. But then he says, all right, well, I'm just going to have to obey God. So then he started, and he got a little bit of it out, began to prophesy, got a little bit of it out, and then looked at the crowd and got afraid of the crowd. And then he tried to struggle through and finished and stumbled, and finally he just stopped and said, Folks, I'm sorry. I'm messing this all up. I got afraid of your faces. <laughs> That's a scriptural term too. He said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to turn around so I can't see you. And so he turned around and then he said, now, Lord, let that come back on me. And it did. And he finished and it went well. And it was one of the greatest learning experiences that I think any of us ever had. We all have a tendency to look at people and be concerned about what they're going to think, don't we? Oh, Lord, deliver us from that. Let us care more about obeying you than what others might think. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Do you realize, folks, what a privilege it is For God to speak through us. I don't care if it's some big long thing. Or if it's just a simple word. I remember another time Brother Hagin was preaching. And he stopped and he said. Okay Lord I'll do that. Just give me the rest of it. He waited and nothing else came. And he said I don't understand this. He said but the one word the Lord has given me is Go. And all of a sudden, somebody over the side screamed, yelled hallelujah, and started running around the room. When they finally slowed down, Brother Hagin asked him, he he called over to him, he said, does that mean something to you? And he said, I told the Lord before I came to this service, I needed him to either tell me to stop or to go. I didn't want to know anything else, just stop or go. Brother Hagin laughed and he said, well, I almost missed God. I was waiting for the rest of it. (laughs) One word. Thank God for the move of the Holy Ghost. See, God knows what you need to hear. He knows what the other guy needs to hear too. No point in him telling us the whole thing. He'll just share with us what is necessary and needful. I think, personal opinion, you judge it for yourself. 
But I think when we finally get loose of these physical bodies, we're going to see how easy, how simple it was or would be or supposed to be to be used of God. The thing that makes it hard is the thinking that's not Bible-based, that's not centered around God, and and it's more concerned with ourselves than the other person. We get rid of that. We really will be a powerhouse for God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to be indwelt by the Holy Ghost. For the privilege to have the greater one on the inside of us. Father, we see and know that the greater one seeks to indwell us and to use us in such a way that we become a blessing unto others. Lord, make us a blessing. We're not praying for ourselves. We've got your word to see us through. But make us a blessing to others. Use us, Lord. Not in the way we've imagined. Not to make a name for ourselves. But use us, Lord, to help others. We're a simple people, Lord. So it's going to have to be simple. Help us, Lord, to stay simple in our thinking so that we don't complicate it and mess it up. But, Lord, we see a moving of the Holy Ghost described in Scripture that's more than what we've experienced. And that's what we want. We thank you for the instruction that we have so that we avoid some of their mistakes. But, Lord, we want it to be said of us, even as it was said of them, that we've come behind in no good gift. Raise up people in our church to be used of you, Lord. Use us all according to your plan and purpose. Thank you, Lord, for revelation. Thank you for utterance. And thank you for the power of God to manifest. Lord, we desire these things. We desire to be used of you. But help us to want it like you want us to. Create a greater desire in us, Lord. So much of these things of the Spirit, Lord, we teach from a a standpoint of head knowledge, but without any real experience. Help us to experience these things, Lord. Move in us in such a way so that there is a name that is magnified. So that people from all around would know that this is a place. This church is a place where no matter what you need, God meets you here. Not to exalt our name, but to exalt the name of Jesus. Lord, I don't care if I have anything to do with it or not. But let this place that you established, you started, you founded. Let this place be known for your power as well as your word. And as people walk through the doors, Holy Spirit, we ask you to manifest yourself so that the secrets of their hearts would be made manifest. So that they would worship God. 
and declare that he is in us in the truth. Even as the scripture says. Lord, make it so. I feel like there's been so many things we've been waiting for for so long. Make it so now. Let the time be now. In Jesus' name. If you can agree with that prayer, say amen. Lord, you hear us. We prayed that as a church. We thank you for hearing and answering. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the greater one that's in us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Revelation that answers every question is within us. Power that answers every problem is within us. And the word of God that lifts hearts and spirits dwells in us too. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for manifesting yourself. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being part of us.